Welcome to Unity of Fairfax, a positive path for spiritual living and spiritual center for education, practice, and service in Northern Virginia. We hope you find inspiration in this week's message. So on August 28, 1963, 250,000 people gathered in Washington, D.C. for the March for Jobs and Freedom. They demanded an end to segregation, fair wages, economic justice, voting rights, education, and long overdue civil rights and protections. The 60th anniversary of the march is coming up, and Unity Churches and Centers in the District, Maryland, and Virginia will be participating on August 26th. But for the month of August, I've asked members of Unity of Fairfax who were there or had an immediate connection with the march to share a few words about what that meant to them and perhaps what it means to us today. Today, we are honored that Carol Bradley, a former elementary school principal, will be sharing with us. So make sure you are paying attention because she is watching every one of you. Good morning, church. It's, Good morning. I come here with mixed emotions, and uh, I was reminded by my partner, Ken, about, you know, I couldn't remember, well, what was the 63 like? That was 60 years ago. I wasn't even born then, right? <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for the beautiful music, Amy and Bailey. That was wonderful. Um, so I should have paid a lot more attention to what was going on, but I was a 23-year-old, recently was a teacher in Jersey City, New Jersey, and um, I, I was about getting to Washington, seeing what was going on, and then coming on, coming on back home. And I want to point out, um, a couple of weeks ago, Russ, you talked about the power of meaning. And you had four points. Belonging was one of them. Purpose, uh, transcendence, transcendence, sacredness, and storytelling. So this is kind of my story that I want to share with you. I grew up in Jersey City, which was an integrated community right near New York City. I had a strong black mother, and her she had dreams for her children, just like Martin Luther King had dreams for his people. Our, our religious background was interesting because my mom was Presbyterian, and we were Catholic because my father was Catholic, and we had to be raised that way. Some of you are not, and you know about that. So we got to we got to have commune, take our first communion, and and get um, get. Uh, uh, the other, our confirmation and all, and my mother's words, her dream was, you have to be the best. You have to be better than white folks. You have to be prepared. And that still rolls in my head sometimes as I approach new situations. There were not a lot of talk from her about the inequities because we had non-segregated schools, non-segregated buses, and we could vote. But I couldn't let that lull me to sleep because I have, Ken said he had to fight white boys every day coming home from school because they weren't accepting of him. We had it, this, uh, segregated housing. We had the black projects and the white projects. And then we uh, didn't know about um, the um, 
water fountains, the segregated water fountains, and those kind of things. But sometimes you just did, you knew it existed. You saw a little bit of that on TV. You saw fire hoses uh, sprayed on people. You saw the whole bridge situation, and so. We just kept going. So this march came up, and it was something to do as a young 23-year-old and with our friend. And I'm accused of going there so I can meet guys, but I, that wasn't <laughs> the reason. And <laughs> so we, and we could see the hero, Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King. There were so many folks, and it was about jobs and justice and, and opportunities. I didn't really hear any of the speeches until I got home because it was so crowded, and the idea was to get there and then come back home because of traffic. Many famous people were on the stage, but the men were in charge, and that kind of reminds us the women were not given a place in the march. Um, so, and also, I, I heard, we heard about John Lewis's famous speech had to be changed because it was too, I guess, maybe argumentative, and we wanted to get that civil rights bill passed. Uh, perhaps after the march, I was a little more curious about um, segregation and equity and all that, and trying to, to pay closer attention to what was going on. There was in my family was was we, there were four of us. I was the oldest, and those of you who are the oldest, you know you have to be the, the trailblazer. She wanted us to go to college, so the three girls went to to um, the teachers' college, and my brother, because my mother and the dentist got together, he was able to go to a historically black college, Lincoln University in Pennsylvania. So she 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 lived her dream and. Uh, you know, she she wanted the best for us. Um, I taught in inner city schools for a long time, and mostly inner city schools. Schools are not segregated, but of course, we go by the neighborhood school. And I, res because of that, I got a fellowship to go to Chicago for a master's in inner city studies. And Chicago was a really racist city. It was very, very divided. And so I learned a lot. And, and Jesse Jackson was one of our speakers during class. And it was just so wonderful to, to get fired up about doing something. At that time, Martin Luther King was assassinated when I was in Chicago. So I witnessed the, uh, the riots, et cetera. I was married then in Chicago, and uh, then we moved to Reston, which was Robert Simon's dream. And I had two precious children, now 50 and 51. And so we were involved, and then I started teaching in Virginia, and uh, I was in human relations. And so I had a real purpose. Joanne Phillips and I were in human relations, so you know a lot got done with her in helping, <laughs> helping me. So we dealt with racism and religion. There was a lot of confusion, not confusion, but a lot of areas where we had to work with religion and acceptance of people's religion, and also sexism in the system. And things were changing because of Title IX. I, so that kind of is still my purpose in all of this. So I belonged in a community. I moved from community, from a different community belonging, and now retired. And sometimes when you retire, you know, 
what is the meaning of life? What is my purpose? So then I started tutoring and working on boards and those kind of things. And then looking at transcendent sacredness, what am I do what is mine to do? Am I living the Dr. King dream? Why am I living in these tumultuous times, waking up every morning asking, why doesn't God stop this nightmare of hate, violence, anger, poverty, unequal opportunity, gender inequities, corrupt politicians, rights being taken away, book banning, true history, not being told, and the tragedies of our physical environment. But then I remember my teaching from unity. Stop let go and let God. And the, the sacredness of this is this morning I was reading some science of mind things and it says, awakening to the God of oneness to reestablish my center and remind myself that I am free to learn and grow through the full spectrum of human experience. I am rooted in and as God. Opportunities for me are right here at Unity. We have all kinds of book clubs, including Jesus and the Disinherited. We have our metaphysical group. Social Action Ministry is working on equity, and we are committed to DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. We write postcards to get people to vote. We have our lovely Earth Care Ministry. We have our beautiful labyrinth and our meditation garden. All of these things are helping us have spiritual and sacred experiencing experiences. We learn and welcome other religions here, and we have opportunities to tell our stories and listen to the stories of others. What is mine to do? Well, I must to have meaning and purpose. Continue my spiritual practices of prayer, meditation, listening to music, meditation walks in nature, planting, pruning, and weeding. And as one who's been around longer than 63 years, that's, that's quite a you know, thing to do. <laughs> Journaling, reading, the daily word is just wonderful to get you over on a day when you're saying all these why me, why me. It has the perfect kind of message for us. Today I think was exciting, exciting, yeah. But anyway, one of the things that kind of helps me see how important that march was and the many marches that we've had for equity is my work as a member of the League of Women Voters. And so one of the things we're doing is swearing in new citizens. We go to the place, the, the federal building, and um, all those folks who are getting sworn in, we give them an application, they fill it out, and they're registered to vote. And they are so excited. So if they're excited, I have to be excited. We are also working on helping the homeless get registered, and that's something that takes quite a long time working through the system. Also working on restoring the voting rights of ex-offenders. And in Virginia, that's kind of being looked at because previously that was not a problem with the other administrations, but this governor hasn't been clear about what, what, how he wants to handle this. So I'm trying to stay informed, but not entrenched. And also I remember Sherry's, Reverend Sherry's, um, I guess, um, suggestion or advice as I'm trying to lighten up. 
Thank you for this opportunity, Russ, to remember 60 years ago. And thank you for listening, and thanks for the music, and it's great to be here, I think. <laughs> Wow, how blessed are we. Thank you, Carol, for being the, the light of love and truth in the world and modeling for all of us that we make a difference. Mm, thank you. Wow. So also in August, we are presenting, uh, I am presenting a four-part series based on the book Jesus and the Disinherited, as Carol mentioned. This was a book written by Howard Thurman, one of the premier theologians in America in the 20th century. And he wrote this book in response to a question that was posed to him in Sri Lanka by an Indian law professor who asked him and actually said to him, Sir, I believe you are a traitor to the darker-skinned peoples of the world. How can you be a Christian? And so in answer to that history, he wrote the book, Jesus and the Disinherited. So Thurman, though, gives nobody an easy way out. He posits that the Christianity that has supported and been used by organizations and peoples as a form of oppression was not the Christianity that was in the mind of Jesus, the teaching that was in the mind of Jesus. Thurman says that Jesus had a different take on the religion that he inherited, Judaism, which he kept his whole life, and wanted people to have tools and a way of living lives of freedom and empowerment, regardless of their station in the world. And Thurman does not blame Jesus for how Christianity evolved and has been used. But in his teaching on supporting individuals with their backs against the wall, a common theme that you find in Thurman's writings, nobody gets an easy way out. Those who have been victimized by oppression and those who have been the oppressors themselves are responsible for the creation of what we like to say here in Unity is a world that works for everyone. This is not a one-way street of blame where those who have been victimized can claim moral superiority for having been victimized. Thurman says to those folks as well, you are responsible as well for creating the life that you desire. So in same fashion, in Unity Teaching, we teach that regardless of the facts of life that have negatively impacted any of us, whether from outside as disease, divorce, discomfort of any form, or inside, you know, by our own self-induced nonsense, S-I-N, figure that one out, that we are charged with co-creating the solutions we want in our lives. Whether we are privileged or not, we are empowered through the living spirit of truth within to create lives that will allow us to be our best and most powerful selves. In order to do so, we must understand what are the thoughts and feelings we are holding, maybe clinging to tenaciously, that might be holding us back from being our best selves, and let those go, 
and identifying which are the ones that are empowering that we can build our future upon. The key idea, the most important one, is what does one believe about oneself? Let's personalize that. What do I truly believe about myself? From that stems everything else. And in our unity teaching, as well as in Thurman's teaching, the point was to come back to understand that each and every one of us is an individualized expression of the creative magnificence of the universe. Regardless of what we may have thought, regardless of what we may have said, regardless of what we may have done, or regardless of what anybody else says about us. So there are three hounds of hell that Thurman posits that are nipping at the heels perpetually of those with their backs against the wall or those who are marginalized, those who are poor or those who are poor in spirit. And those hounds of hell are fear, deceit, and hatred. And each of these, though at some point they may serve a constructive purpose, will ultimately be damaging to one's integrity and one's spirit. There's a whole lot to unpack there, and we don't have time because we would miss dinner. <laughs> but I want to talk to us about somebody who did encounter fear, and that's Unity co-founder Myrtle Fillmore. For those of you who may not know, Unity was co-founded by a husband and wife team, Myrtle, Phil Myrtle and Charles Fillmore. And though we count our birth date 1889, the incipient experience of Unity was in 1886. Myrtle had been told at the age of 40 that she had tuberculosis, and just like her mother and her grandmother, it would take her life. Well, she died 42 years later. Because in that pivotal year, 1886, she went to a lecture, she and her husband, led by E.B. Weeks with the Illinois Metaphysical Institute, and she heard the affirmation, I am a child of God, and therefore, I do not inherit sickness. It took her a couple years of prayer work, because healthcare back then wasn't quite what it is today. Take that as you will. But in two years, she was symptom-free. She could have lived in fear of this disease, taking her life, taking her from her three sons and her husband and the work that they had started. And no doubt, she did feel fear. But she also connected with a power and a presence of, and within her, knowing her true inheritance, knowing who she really was as a child of God, as that expression of divinity. And from that, she grew the strength to meet the disease head on and not allow it to overcome her. Thurman says something very similar in his work. The first question has to do with a basic self-estimate, a profound sense of belonging, of counting. If a man feels that he does not belong in the way in which it is perfectly normal for other people to belong, then he develops a deep sense of insecurity. Anybody ever felt that? It's like something's going on? Yeah, of course. 
When this happens to a person, it provides the basic material for what the psychologists call an inferiority complex. You know, it is quite possible for a man to have no sense of personal inferiority as such, but at the same time to be dogged by a sense of social inferiority. My group, my people, somehow, some way, don't measure up to the collective standard. And perhaps, on some level, you may have felt that as well. The awareness, he says, of being a child of God tends to stabilize the ego and results in a newfound courage, fearlessness, and power. In other words, I know who I am. I am not a label. I am not less than. I am. In other places, he says, the psychological effect of the individual on the conviction that he is a child of God gives a note of integrity to whatever he does. It's no surprise to me that many of our great social reform movements were born in faith community and supported by faith community. Because in those settings, in the church, the temple, the mosque, whatever it was, became an understanding of remember who you are. You are not only your physicality and your humanity. You are an inheritor of the kingdom. Now, this tie-in with psychology is central to what we do in unity. And in fact, Charles Fillmore, co-founder of the Unity Movement, addressed this in one of his books in a very short little quip when he said, the carping critic cries, your religion is psychology instead of Christianity. Our answer is that the new Christianity includes an understanding of psychology, but does not stop with an analysis of the mind. It goes on to the highest phase of mind's possibility, unity with spirit. Unity with spirit. Myrtle Fillmore, through her understanding of her unity with spirit, affected a positive outcome in her body. In the teachings of Howard Thurman, he says that if we want to overcome fear of anything in our lives, the first step is to remember who we are, that we might know our unity with spirit and be able to engage with all the facts of life, those which are in our immediate personal sphere and those which are in the greater collective from a point of view of empowerment so that we might grow our integrity, so that we might stabilize our egos, and so that we might result in new courage and fearlessness in our being. Or, as the Quakers say, so that therefore we might speak truth to power. You know, the teachings of unity and the teachings of Thurman we're not and are not ever about converting the heathen or imposing a specific form of religion on all people. But more importantly, about establishing and making real the kingdom of God that welcomes everybody. Bible scholars among you will know that in the Gospel of Luke alone, the phrase the kingdom of God was used over 32 times to say to those who heard this message, 
and to us still today. That the beloved community, the kingdom, is right here. It is up to us to realize it, to make it real. And central to doing that is to know who we are, to know for ourselves who I am, and to live from that point of view, from empowerment and courage. I invite you to go with me now into a moment of prayer. Let's take a deep and gentle breath in. (sighs) Having heard Carol's beautiful words and having been reminded of truth, that whatever is happening in our worlds, may we all know the truth of who we are. May we all know the truth for others when they do not know it for themselves. May we lift up the vision of peace on earth, goodwill to all as a lived reality. And may we see the shackles of fear and greed being released and opened so that everyone might have life and have it abundantly. And may we all know, may I know for myself, this great work begins with me. Amen and amen. Namaste. Thank you for tuning into Unity of Fairfax podcast. You're welcome to join us live in Oakton, Virginia, every Sunday at 11 a.m. Or view our live stream services from our website at unityoffairfax.org. We appreciate our donations to support this podcast to make our message of positive, practical spirituality more accessible to all. See you next time.